Isn't it great that you could say, it is well with my soul? Wow. Um, a while back, I listened to a message uh, by Jabe Nicholson <clears throat> in which he talked about or shared an incident that uh, it might, I don't know if it was this group, some of the people here that went to Israel with him and they were in a restaurant and um, a lady came up to Jabe and started asking about the group that he was with. She knew it was a tour group, but she said, your people are different than other people in tour groups. What's the difference? Well, you know, that's a baited opportunity and Jabe shared with her, she was a medical doctor, very intelligent, and Jabe spent quite a bit of time with her. In fact, I believe it, he said until they were actually closing the doors in the restaurant, sharing with her from the Old Testament, just the Old Testament, the, the scriptures concerning the coming Messiah and how that the Lord fulfilled those. And she was, she had never heard that before. Never heard that before. Oh, she's heard about the Messiah, but she had never really looked into the Old Testament, her own, her own uh, Bible. In, in the next course of three to five years, the, the men that, have, uh, that are speaking and, and the elders, we, we want to cover all the major doctrines of the Bible. And one of the major doctrines is the doctrine of prophecy and uh, regarding the first and second advent of our Lord. The word advent means appearing or coming. And so this morning, um, I want to go over some things that I've done some research on because I want to equip the saints here at Claremont to be able to talk to someone strictly from the Old Testament, proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So what are some of the significant things about prophecy? Number one, it gives conclusive evidence that there is a divine intelligence behind the writings of the Old and New Testament. Number one. Number two, it authenticates the deity of the Lord Jesus. You see, God, in his wisdom, wanted to give us word pictures of what the Messiah would be like when he arrived. To, so that we could identify him. Just real quickly, if we can turn to Luke chapter 21. Now, this morning, we're going to be doing a lot of scripture searching. So it'll be an exercise for arthritic fingers, I guess. Um, Luke 21 and verse 8. It says, take heed, and he said, take heed that you uh, that not, not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. So there is going to be a lot of people that are going to show up and claim to be the Messiah. And of course, the biggest one of, is in the future, a man, the man of sin, he'll come and he'll have a lot of of the characteristics of the Messiah, and many people will be fooled into thinking that he really is the Messiah when he's not. 
And then when they finally realize he's not, it's, it's too late. Um, the next scripture I'd like for us to turn to, well, first of all, God is the only true God and whose knowledge, whose knowledge is infinite and whose word is never broken. Again, God is the only true God whose knowledge is infinite and whose word is never broken. And if we can turn uh, to Numbers 23. Numbers 23 and verse 19. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And so God tells us about this Messiah and he's not lying. If you can, and one of the reasons, one of the things I'm really thankful for is that we went through the book of Isaiah. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46 and verse 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no one like me. Declaring, here's the point, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And then if you can turn over just a page or two to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verses 3 and 5. I declared the former things long ago, and they went forth from my mouth, and I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. Therefore I declared them to you long ago, lest you should say, My idol has done them, and my graven and molten image have commanded them. And then finally, just for now, Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, he says, which he promised, this is Paul speaking, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Jesus said, he says, Don't you th- uh, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. That's in Matthew 5, 17. But all this was taken, has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Matthew 26, 56. And then in John 15, 25, he says, But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled, that it was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And the New Testament writers in Acts 3, 18 says, But the thing, things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. In Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him has received forgiveness of sin. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I delivered unto you, first of importance, also what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he, ra- he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And then the final uh, one, even the chief priests and scribes knew the prophets. Because remember the story when Herod had the Magi come and they said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And it got him really upset. So he brought in the scribes and uh, the chief priests. And they quoted from uh, Micah 5.2. And, and they quoted, and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, <clears throat> land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's Matthew 2, 4 through 6. At this particular time, I'm going to have uh, Russ and Scott, they're going to pass out um, an outline that I have written down, I think will be of great help to you. It is by no means exhaustive. It doesn't have all of the Old Testament uh, verses concerning the Messiah, but it is, I think it would be a great help for everybody here that when you talk to someone who just accepts only the Old Testament, you'd be able to share clearly that Christ is indeed the Messiah. You know, if... If I were to say, and I've said this before, but if I were to say that uh, next year, in 2015, there is going to be a two-car crash in L.A. County, I'm making that prediction, you wouldn't be too impressed, right? I mean, there's going to be plenty of them. But see, prophecy is so focused, it would be like, on such and such a date in January, at the corner of such and such street, two cars, and I'll say this is 25 years in advance, two cars that haven't even been invented yet, and I give you, I give you the make and the model of the car and the color and the, the person that's in it, how old they are, you know, and I give you all these intricate details about this accident 25 years in advance then that's something else. Years ago, there was a gal, and no relation to me, her name was Jean Dixon, and uh, she would give these New Year uh, predictions. Her best year was just a little bit under 50%. That was her best year. We're going to see how important it is, the Bible, and how accurate it is. So if you look at the first verse there, Luke 24, 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And we know this incident. This is after the resurrection, of course. And these two disciples, we don't know if they were a husband and wife team, they were leaving uh, Jerusalem and they're making their way towards Emmaus. Now, it's about a, somewhere around seven, eight miles. So, and again, we don't know when the Lord uh, joined up with them, but let's say it took them about two hours for you know walking at three miles an hour or something like that. So for at least a couple hours, the Lord Jesus 
shared with them, it says, at beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he didn't go just through a few of them. He went through every one of them. And as they were listening to the Lord Jesus describe the prophecies concerning himself, they got more excited and more excited until finally they got home and they invited him in. And we know what happened. He broke the bread and then vanished out of their sight. This morning, I'm, I'm praying that our hearts will be warmed when we see the same thing. The Old Testament, as we can uh, read here, was completed in approximately 450 B.C. Now, that's the Hebrew. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was completed in the reign of Ptolemy Philadelphus, Philadelphus at uh, about 285 to 4, 246 B.C. So there was at least a 250-year gap between the prophecies that were written down and it being fulfilled in Christ. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list. Just hits on some of the uh, highlights. But I think some of these are very, very important. Number one, the Messiah's birth. And if you've got a pen or pencil, you might want to add to that title, uh, virgin-born seed of Abraham. Okay, because that's I left that out in when I ran these off when I came back and reviewed my notes. Of course, we know what the prophecy is in Genesis chapter 3. Now, we're not going to look up all the verses because we don't have time. But let's just take a look at this first one. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is always an excellent place to start, right at the beginning. And again, this is not only for us, for our edification, but it's also for us when we want to share the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus. And it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then I'll go over to chapter 22. In verse 18, and it says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And of course, this is in reference to uh, Abraham. And then, okay, now again, we start off general. It's like when I told you about the accident, you know, L.A. County, or actually the year. So now we're getting a little bit closer because Abraham had quite a few sons. Okay? But specifically, the Bible says that in, uh, you're already there, uh, turn over to chapter 21, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it uh, be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac shall your seed be called. So now we're getting it a little bit narrower. Then, Isaac had how many sons? Two. Who were they? Jacob and Esau. So now we're... There are verses that say the same thing. I just didn't add them all on. But, uh, you know, you could look at it up in your leisure. But the fulfillment, of course, is you can look 
in uh, the genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew. Then, what about Jacob? How many sons did he have? Twelve? At least we have the twelve tribes. Okay? So now we go back to twelve. Now it goes down to not just any of them, but to Judah. And that prophecy in Genesis 49.10. Uh, let's take a look at that. Genesis 49.10. And it's good to go through this progression. They can see it narrowing down and being very focused. And verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver for between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Okay, so from Judah, does it get any narrower? Yes, it does. We'll go down to Jesse, the lineage of Jesse. And then, of course, Jesse had several sons, and it gets narrower. It goes down to David, the house of David. And then, then, it talks about where he was born. And some would say, well, Bethlehem, okay. But there's, there's two Bethlehems in, in Israel. Okay, there's Bethlehem, Judah, and then there's another one up by Galilee. So they were very specific. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the one in, in Judah. So it now narrows it down to the right town. And then... There's the prophecy concerning what the king was going to do when Herod realized that he was deceived and the wise men left another way, that they didn't come back and tell him because he said when he sent them out, you know, please let me know where this king is born and I'm going to come and worship. And of course, we knew that that's not his intention. He wanted to kill him. So he went and of course, this is the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 15, that there's a, there's a cry in Ramah. All the boys under two years of age were killed in that town. But then we come to Christ's preexistence. And there's quite a few verses here. And that's important. Because that tells us about his, his deity and the fulfillment, of course, is Colossians 1.17. Let's take a look at Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So Christ pre-existed before anything that was created. That speaks to us of, of his eternity. And then it talks about, he, this is his name. He shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. So there, and again, there's, we're going to talk in just a little bit about how many prophecies there really are, but again, it shows the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it also talks about what he's going to do or what kind of a person is he? And, it, and then we see that he's, number 11, that he'll be a prophet. We read about that in uh, Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. 
and then the fulfillment there. But then not only a prophet, but he will be a priest. And then not only a priest, he will be a judge and a king. Now, in the Old Testament, no, no uh, prophet um, or priest was ever a king, except for Melchizedek. And so this is a very unique person. He's going to have all of these qualities. He's going to have a special anointment of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to John, Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, and verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. So it's a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then as we've been uh, just starting the the book of John on Wednesday night, it talks about that there's going to be, he's going to be preceded by a messenger. And... He's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight or be prepared for the Lord, the way of the Lord. And of course, that is in reference to, like I said, John the Baptist. And then it tells us a little bit about his ministry. Uh, The ministry began in Galilee. Anybody know what town it was? Canaan, right. What happened in Cana? There was a wedding. Isn't that interesting? The first miracle that the Lord was involved with was a wedding. He's for weddings. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's interesting that he created the wine, which, which speaks to us of joy. So his very first miracle is closely related to joy. And so from there, excuse me, it talks about that he's going to to be a teacher of parables. And then he was going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. Well, when I was thinking about this, it brought back memories from when we were, Margie and I were living in Big Bear, um, the first house that we had built, it was out in a rural area called Irwin Lake. And um, one of the things that kept you awake at night was the baying of the, the wild donkeys. There was a big herd of wild donkeys that would just be hee-hawing all night. And uh, they would actually, if you didn't have your house fenced off, they would come up and they would actually start chewing on the wood the exterior of your house. And um, so I had to quickly put up a split rail fence, you know, to keep them out. And uh, Margie, one morning, uh, got up to, get, to go to work, and the donkeys wouldn't let her in her car. There was a big herd, and they just, they just won't move. And uh, so that was, thank you. Mm. So... Um, we had donkeys, and, and what 
the reason why this brought to mind is that I was having conversation with one of my students at Norco, uh, at, Norco at Big Bear High, and uh, he says, you'll never guess what happened to me. And I said, what? He said, uh, you know those donkeys out in Irwin Lake? I said, yeah. He says, I tried to ride one. <laughs> I said, well, what happened? He says, well, they were right by the fence, and so I climbed up on the fence, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to try. And that's typical of a high schooler. You know, they just they usually don't think too well, too clearly. So he jumps, jumps on the donkey, and the donkey launched him. I mean, he, he was flying, he said. He was, you know, it's a good thing he didn't break his neck. But when I think of this, you think of the colt. That's not a full-grown donkey. It's, it's, it's colt. And the symbolism there is that it's unbroken. Okay? So if you thought you'd get a ride on a, an adult donkey, you'd get a better ride on a colt. But the, the fact is, is that he came in on a colt. In other words, it's never been broken. And it shows tremendous humility. And uh, so that, that'll key in and just and, uh, as we get going here. So he came on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. And then it also talks about his, the response to his ministry and to his person. And we read about that he's a stone of stumbling to the Jews and a rock of offense. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. It was he, he came to be a light to the Gentiles. And again, there's more verses than just the two that I've listed there. But I would encourage you to do a study. Look, look these up and at least get an idea so that when you or write some down in your Bible when you're talking to someone, you can have a couple of these key ones. <clears throat> and of course, one of the key, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the key ones is the resurrection. There's quite a few. In fact, if you could take your pencil or your pen. Uh, where it says uh, 118, that's not 7, it's 17. Can you change that? Because that's the wrong verse. That's Psalm 118, verse 17. And then, of course, it talks, then uh, there's the prophecy concerning his ascension. And then seated at the right hand of God. And then we get back now to very focused. It says he's, he's going to be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41.9. Let's take a look at that. Psalm 41. And verse 9. He's, it says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And of course, this is referring to Judas, betrayed by his friend. And then 27, he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now this, I mean, Zechariah is uh, next to, there's more prophecies concerning the Lord's first and second advent in, in Isaiah than any other book. But in Zechariah, it's more condensed. There's more per words or per sentences in Zechariah. And 
it says here that he was going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. The, the scribes and the Pharisees that wanted to disprove his messiahship, all they had to do was offer Judas 29 pieces of silver or 31 pieces of silver, and Christ would have been eliminated as the Messiah. They knew that verse, but they went ahead and did it for 30 pieces of silver. And then, of course, when Judas came back, remember, he says, I betrayed innocent blood. He throws the, the money down, and they knew the verse where that 30 pieces of silver was going to be used for. What was it going to be used for? To buy the potter's field. And what did they do? They went and fulfilled scripture by buying a potter's field. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. He was accused, 30, accused by false witnesses. Silenced before the accusers. And that has, that, that's a very uh, important one. How many of us, if we were being accused of something, uh, wrongly accused of something, would we not defend ourselves? Of course we would. But he never opened his mouth. So that is, that is a tremendous prophecy there. And a lot of these are in Isaiah 53, of course, wounded and bruised, his hands and feet pierced, crucified with thieves, made intercession for the persecutors, rejected by his own people, the garments that were parted and lots cast, all these things he had no, a normal person would not have any control over. I mean, if you're hanging on the cross, what they do with your clothes, it's not in your hands anymore. It's in their hands. But it's, you could see the incredible prophecy here. Rejected by his own people, garments parted, cast lots, gall and vinegar offered to him. And here's another one that we've, we're familiar with. Not a bone of him was broken. And that's critical because the one thing, if you read uh, Josephus and some of these others, uh, actual um, visual uh, seeing of a crucifixion, the person that was hung on the cross had many, many bones broken before he ever got to the cross. But Christ never had one bone broken. His side was pierced. Darkness over the land. Buried in a rich man's tomb. Now, again, the, this is a very short list. But I'm hoping that you can use this when you're talking to someone about the Lord from just simply the Old Testament. It says here, prophecies that are totally beyond human control. I listed seven of them. I'm sure there's more. But you can't, the, the place of birth, you can't fix that. That's, you know, I mean, if a baby's going to get born, it's going to get born. You know, you, uh, you know I mean, we're up at Big Bear and we had to get down. We had to get down to Fontana, you know, and uh, thank the Lord that it didn't, the baby didn't come on our way down from the hill. Time of birth, manner of birth, the manner of death, people's reaction. You can't control what, how people react to you. 
piercing and burial. Now this next, this final section, I know we're out of time, but I just want to point out that Josh McDowell wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you don't have that book, you need to get it and put it in your library. It is a tremendous resource on apologetics, on, on uh, proving the scriptures, where the Bible came from. And um, in that book, uh, there was a, uh, he talked about a person that took eight of the prophecies that I've listed. Number one, born in Bethlehem. Number 16, preceded by a messenger. Number 20, entered uh, on a donkey's colt. 26, betrayed by a friend. Sold for 30 pieces of silver, money thrown in God's house, silence before the accusers, and hands pierced. Now, he was a mathematician, and he did the calculations on the odds. And, of course, you can read here, the mathematical odds for one person to fulfill all eight of these, just these prophecies, these ones that are listed here, is 1 in 10 to the 17th. Now, I had to look at that up on the computer Okay, we got, we've got uh, some physicists here. What, um, what's the title of that 1 to the 17th, or 10 to the 17th? Quin, quintillion. Quintillion. So it's 1 followed by 18 zeros. Now, if you want to visualize in your mind that one person that would fulfill those eight prophecies, just those eight, in their lifetime is one in one quintillion. Now, here's the visualization. You take a silver dollar. You take a quintillion of them. They would fill the whole state of Texas two feet deep. You go and you take one of those silver dollars, you mark it, and then mix up the whole bunch for the whole state of Texas. I'll mix them all up. You take a man. You blindfold him, and you have him walk out, and randomly, just wherever he wants to stop, dig down, or off the top, doesn't matter. The chances of him picking that right one, that's the same chances of one human being being able to fill these eight prophecies in their lifetime. It's not going to happen. Now, next down, 48 of the prophecies. It's 1 in 10 to the 157th. That's, 10 to, that's 1 followed by 158 zeros. I didn't look up the name because I don't think there is a name for that. Um, but here, uh, Floyd Hamilton, author of The Basics, Basis of Christian Faith, states that there are 332 specific prophecies that Christ fulfilled when he was here his first time. Can you imagine if 48 prophecies ended up at 110 to the 157, what 332 would be? It's impossible. And what does that mean? That means this is God's word. It's infallible. It's completely dependable, and it proves itself over and over again. 
And this Bible stands alone. It should be the only Bible on the shelf. Shouldn't have any other books on there because it is such a miracle to have God's word and these prophecies. And again, why did I do this? Because I want to equip you to help you not only to be, um, to build up your faith in, in God and in his word, but also to be able to share that faith with someone that just simply wants proof. And this would be a, a good way. There are, as it says here, there's 332 prophecies in the Old Testament that Christ specifically answered. There are over 200 prophecies concerning his second coming. So guess what? He's coming. And he's coming again. Because if he, if he, if he uh, fulfilled 332 the first time, he's going to fill the, the other 200 next time. John 14, 3, and we'll close with this. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you under myself that where I am there ye may be also and he will always keep his word if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior I'm telling you from his own words that he loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ came for one specific purpose, and that is to save you and I and myself from our sins. He fulfilled 332 of the Old Testament prophecies. But that won't do you any good unless you receive him as your Savior, because he will come again, And it can be very, and it will be very soon. And I pray that this morning that you have the confidence as you walk out that door that you know that Christ has forgiven you of all your sins. You've repented. You said, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And I know that when you died on the cross, according to the prophecies in the Old Testament, you shed your blood. And it's that blood that paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. Your slate, when you accept Christ as your Savior, your slate is clean. And you are, right now, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're as prepared to enter heaven as you'll ever be. Isn't that great? Don't we have a loving Savior to to do all this for people that hated him and were his enemies? But that's how much God loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the prophecies of the Old Testament that concerning your son, where he was going to be born, <clears throat> what his ministry was going to be, and how he was going to give his life on Calvary's cross for sinners such as us. Father, we do pray that we will take this to heart and realize that your word is a light to this community. Father, I do pray if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know for absolutely sure that they've received Christ as their Savior, that they will do so 
before it's eternally too late. And Lord Jesus, there are 200 over 200 prophecies concerning your soon return, and we look forward to that, knowing that you will return for us. So part us with your blessing. We thank you for this, in your sons, in your worthy and precious name. Amen.